What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the High Wrestling Podcast. It has been a very sad, fucked up week in wrestling. And I'm hoping that this little corner of the internet can bring some joy and optimism in such a sad, sad time because we lost Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt in the same week and it was not even just in the same week but literally back to back that is it's hard to just wrap your head around that especially like it Bray Wyatt's death I was literally just talking about this with Rude Dragon um in our interview how Bray Wyatt was literally only 10 years older than the both of us and it really just makes you realize how short life really is and like just don't take life for granted and if there's anything that I've learned the biggest lesson that I've learned in life is just be a good person just be a good person and if there's anything that I'm seeing in the reactions Bray Wyatt was a really good person he gave so much to wrestling he definitely revolutionized wrestling like at some point in the podcast I talk about like I don't remember what live watch I was doing I don't know what I was doing early on but I mentioned how there was like WWE before the shield and WWE after the shield but realistically there's WWE before Bray Wyatt and then there's WWE after Bray Wyatt and if I'm being 100% honest I didn't realize that Husky Harris and Bray Wyatt were the same person until I started doing this podcast because it's the way that I would just rush home in middle school to watch WWE didn't matter which what channel it was on and didn't matter what brand it was on I'm coming from the era of Monday Night Raw Tuesday Night ECW or Tuesday Night NXT Thursday Night WWE Superstars Friday Night Smackdown so yeah And the tribute episode fucked me all the way up. Like, I was good. Like, the the first two days, I was good. I watched, like, the clips and the tributes on Twitter and everything. And it made me sad, but I was good. I held it together pretty well, but then I actually watched the episode. And just broke all the way down, because... I said it on social media, but Bray Wyatt's passing is really up there with the Jay Briscoe and Mac Miller for me, and even Ryan Dunn from Jackass. And you really can mourn people you have never met, because I, I didn't realize how deep Bray Wyatt's passing was until I realized I had watched him as Husky Harris growing up so this really like kind of cut deep for me and this is the first time well i can't say the first time but this is the second time i've really 
experience the death of an active wrestler because when I went back when I went to my first AEW show back in January it was the day after Jay Briscoe passed and they had put together the last minute tribute uh, Ring of Honor show for him after Dynamite and Rampage had taped so that is just very tribute shows are very surreal And then, like, the way that I found out Bray Wyatt died was kind of just like a gut punch. Because I was literally, I was on my way to the bay, to my mom's house. I was in traffic, like, the whole way up there. I, if you live in the bay area and 880 doesn't give you a fucking migraine... Yeah. Unrelated note, though. 680 is the only highway that doesn't give me a headache. Like, I I know peace when I drive on 680. 80 is questionable. 880 is just literal hell. But 680, the only... I trust 680 with my life. But yeah, no, I'm... Get out of traffic. I literally just park. I just park to decompress, to sit in my car a little bit, get on social media, just go to scroll, open Instagram, first post I see, RIP Bray Wyatt. I'm like, I literally just turned off my car. I, what the fuck? I literally just parked and turned off my car. What do you mean, RIP Bray Wyatt? When I tell you that man's Extreme Rules return is one of my favorite WWE moments, like the production of it all, from the physical human embodiments of everybody in the Firefly Funhouse, all the puppets, down to the Fiend, and then the door, the walking through the abandoned set, like that was... That was executed so perfectly. Like, even though it was obvious that it was Bray Wyatt who was returning, the production that went in to that return was just 10 out of 10 for me personally. And I can honestly say, looking back, The Fiend is probably my favorite iteration of Bray Wyatt might be a little biased because I am a horror fan, but I think what Bray Wyatt did with The Fiend was just nothing that we've seen before. Because obviously, Undertaker and Bray Wyatt, like, top two supernatural forces in WWE, right? In my opinion, Bray Wyatt kind of takes the cake with the more horror elements. Because... Like, The Fiend's Mask, one of, like, the most scariest, nightmare-inducing things you will ever see in your life. But then The Fiend, when he was burned alive, that's even, like, scarier. So, like, Bray Wyatt really took those horror elements to another level. And as a horror fan, I definitely have to respect that. 
like, and, you know, I, I was at Hell in a Cell 2019, and that main event was not one of my favorite main events. I used to shit on that main event so much, but in light of Bray Wyatt's passing, I'm kind of realizing how much of a blessing it was that I not only got to see him perform, but I got to see Luke Harper also perform in the same night. I essentially got to see the Wyatt family in one night, but they weren't ex- they weren't the Wyatt family. Like Luke Harper and Rowan were still the Bludgeon Brothers, I believe. And Bray Wyatt was the Fiend. Like I I will be honest, the only thing I hated about that main event was the red light because it did hurt my eyes. But it's those moments I can look back and, like, be super grateful for. Because it's like, shit, I really got to see Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper in the same night before they passed. Crazy to think about. Wild to think about. But I even remember, like, when the Wyatt family first popped up on the scene because it was right when I stopped watching WWE I traded WWE for the pop punk phase so when I first saw like the vignettes and just like the promos and everything I was like what the fuck is this what the fuck is Bray Wyatt what the fuck is the Wyatt family And then I kind of just, like, regret missing everything in terms of, like, the Daniel Bryan storyline. But I came back in, like, 2017, around the time Bray Wyatt won the WWE title at Elimination Chamber. Like, the feud with John Cena was actually, like, I didn't get to see the Wyatt family feud with John Cena, but the... 2017 2017 was such a good year for WWE. I don't care. Nobody can tell me otherwise. 2017 was the best year. But something I didn't realize is that Bray had won the Universal title. Or, no, because he won the WWE title. And won the Universal title twice. So I didn't realize he had held championships like three times. That's crazy to think about. Like, this man really revolutionized what it meant to be, like, a pro wrestling storyteller. His promos, his productions, his costumes, everything that he brought to WWE in his career. Even as Husky Harris, because I remember being traumatized. (laughs) Trying not to laugh because this is a serious moment, but just in retrospect... It's super funny to think about at 26, but I literally remember the episode of Raw where the new Nexus attacked John Cena, and I remember just being so distraught and so upset. I was, like, literally so pissed. But, like, at 26, I look back at that and laugh at myself more than anything, but it's just... It sucks that you don't realize how much of an impact somebody is leaving until they are gone for good. Because, like, while I never understood Bray Wyatt, 
like growing up, I was excited to kind of like really get to know Bray Wyatt with this new iteration because like the, the Wyatt family came on the scene, I was very confused. I loved everything that The Fiend did with the Firefly Funhouse. That was actually super fucking iconic. And then I was like so fucking excited to see like him as himself because it seemed like that's where his gimmick was going. And then whatever he was planning with Uncle Howdy, what's even more heartbreaking was that he was literally planning a return. Not only was he only 36, he was literally planning a return. He was about to come back. He was not that far from coming back. That really just puts shit into perspective about how short life is. <sighs> Upsetting. Man, really rest in peace, Bray Wyatt, for real. And then Terry Funk. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I only just started watching Terry Funk wrestle in doing the pay-per-view retrospective. Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie versus the New Age Outlaws at WrestleMania 14. Not only one of my favorite WrestleManias, but one of my favorite matches. But I was already aware of Terry Funk's legacy on wrestling. I was not going to sit up here and be, like, uneducated. I've done my research. I've gone down my rabbit holes. I've seen my clips of Terry Funk matches. But that was the first full Terry Funk match that I had ever seen. And so that's what I kind of wanted to do in this episode. Because, um... I'm going to live watch two matches this episode. Maybe three. Because in honor of Bray Wyatt, I wanted to watch The Shield versus The Wyatt Family at Extreme Rules. I forget what year it was. And I also wanted to watch The Fiend and Seth Rollins from Hell in a Cell 2019 because I have not watched that match since I've physically been there. And then for Terry Funk, I wanted to watch... Him versus Harley Race for the NWA Championship. But I was uh, re-watching Wrestle with Andy's mini-documentary on Terry Funk last night. And one, I cannot recommend Wrestle with Andy more as one of my favorite YouTube channels. Because I'm coming into this podcast. I missed a lot of iconic moments in wrestling. More specifically WWE. And if it weren't for Wrestle with Andy's videos. I would not get like. An idea. Of what was going on. In those years that I didn't watch. So first off. Can't re recommend his channel. He's one of my favorite YouTube channels. He's got biographies on wrestlers. He's got little mini documentaries on specific years in wrestling. Got uh, mini documentaries on wrestling families. Like, he really goes in depth. 
he really knows his shit, and I like it. I was re- definitely re-watching the Terry Funk one last night, and it's crazy to think about the legacy that him, his father, and his brother left on wrestling. And they really meant it when Terry Funk... Terry Funk forever. That man did not know how to retire, and I respect the fuck out of him. Because to do that shit all the way into your 60s, damn near your 70s, my respect to you. I think we might watch two Terry Funk matches because when I look, when I just YouTube Terry Funk, there was um, there was an ECW match that popped up with him and Mick Foley. So I might watch that one as well too. But um, man, and that's what that's one thing that I like about doing this podcast because even if I don't know much. I'm still willing to, like, do my research and, like, look it up. And then to also, like, learn about something for the first time. One of my favorite things to do. I love learning about things for the first time. I hate that it has to happen under these circumstances. And I have to kind of echo the sentiments of Swerve Strickland because he um, tweeted, we got to stop coming together when we, only when we lose people. And that's part of the reason why I do what I do and I try to give everybody their flowers while they're here in person on Twitter on social media whatever that because I I I accepted at a young age that the three guarantees in life birth death and taxes And you really never know the last time you are going to see somebody, like, ever. So, that's why I, even when, not even when, that's not what I'm trying to say. That's why I kind of go so hard. Because I never know the last time I'm going to see somebody wrestle in person. That's why I try to document everything. That's why I do these vlogs. That's why I try to give everybody their flowers in person when I see them or on social media. Like, you just really never know. So, that's also a reason why I continue to do what I do on this show. Because not only do I want to showcase, it's just you never know. Sorry to make it so morbid, but I hope that my point kind of gets across that I try to show as much love as I can because I don't know the last time I'm going to see somebody. Never take anything for granted. I don't take any of this shit for granted. I will tell you that right now. As much work as I put into the show, I don't take any of it for granted because I... One... I feel like I have a healthy ego, but I I don't feel like I'm better than anybody because of the hard work that I've put into this podcast, because I've probably put in just as much as hard work as the next person or somebody else just starting out. I never like to see myself as higher than I am on the totem pole. I like to see myself at my own level on the totem pole.
And I feel like even if you don't have that much of a knowledge or you're still learning, you can still make an impact. And I don't, I mean that more so about my knowledge of Terry Funk. Because I don't know too much about Terry Funk. I've only seen one Terry Funk match in full outside of the clips and the rabbit holes that I've gone down. But he still made an impact on me because it took one match and I automatically knew this motherfucker was crazy as hell. Because you're going to cut yourself out of a wooden box with a chainsaw? Are you fucking kidding me? That man was insane and I have to respect it. Man, no, it's crazy. And I don't even mean, like, you never know in simply in terms of death. I mean it in terms of, like, you never know where life is going to take you. You, you just never really know. So that's why it's best to just enjoy life while you have it and be a good person while you're on this earth. That's all that matters. Be good, do good, spread good. Just good. That's it, that's all. So, a couple things that I forgot to mention in the previous segment. Um, Bree, Bray Wyatt. Um, he's actually the reason Code Orange is one of my favorite bands. Him and Malachi Black, specifically, because what did it for me, personally, was when Code Orange played Malachi Black to the ring for that one NXT takeover, but it was their rendition of Let Me In that kind of, like, that did it for me. And I had been aware of Code Orange, I really thought that there were two separate bands because there was Code Orange and there was Code Orange Kids, not even realizing that they were the same band, but when I was like, I was aware of them because I was deep in my pop punk phase, and I was on Tumblr at the time, so I would see all of the edits with the lyrics, and I would always see, like, concert photos of Code Orange, but yeah, no, they are legitimately one of my favorite bands, and I'm not just saying that to say that, but I was, I, mainly because... I remember them doing an interview, I think it was with WWE, but it was something along the lines of, essentially, Bray Wyatt had reached out to Code Orange to do his theme song because they captured the essence of what he was looking for perfectly, and I feel like Code Orange's rendition of Let Me In is specifically up there with Disturbed's rendition of Glass Shatters in terms of my favorite wrestling themes of all time. And even, like, Shatter was good, too. Like, Code Orange and Bray Wyatt was one of the strongest wrestling pairings, I swear. Forever is one of their best albums, but I recently revisited their discography. I just found out they dropped a new album this year, which was good to know, but I just um, revisited their discography in traffic the other day. 
Forever is still my favorite album. Underneath is definitely slept on. I Am King is just kind of like, it, it's a debut. Um, but I think Forever will always be like my favorite Code Orange album. And like I said, uh, Bray Wyatt's death was really up there with Mac Miller, Jay Briscoe, and Ryan Dunn for me because I didn't necessarily grow up watching Jackass, but I remember when Jackass 3 came out, MTV kind of went back to, like, the way they should be, but I remember when Jackass 3 came out, they were showing old episodes of Jackass, Viva La Bam, Bams and Holy Union, Nitro Circus, Fantasy Factory, like, that era when Jackass 3 came out was, like, one of my favorite eras, and I remember being so obsessed, like, I had all of the Jackass movies on DVD. Well, no. I had all of them except Jackass 3.5. And I had, like, one of the volumes of the TV shows. But I essentially owe my middle school era to Jackass and CKY. The band more so than the videos. But Ryan Dunn's death was really, like, the first celebrity death to really, like, be a gut punch. Because I had spent all that time delving into the world of Jackass. Like, watching every episode, watching all of the movies. And then I wake up one morning and see that Ryan Dunn died in a car crash. I was like, bro, this is fucked up. I remember being so fucking depressed. I had... I had Don't Hold Your Breath by CKY on repeat. Because I was so fucking sad over Ryan Dunn's death. And then the tribute to Ryan Dunn that they showed on MTV didn't make it any better. Man... And when Mac Miller died, that really got me, because he was my favorite in freshman year of high school. I can say that he is one of my favorite artists of all time, like top five, and he's not five. If I did have to list my top favorite, top five bands and artists, Mac Miller, Ali and AJ. Tyler, the creator. Vampire Weekend. Rob Zombie. That's an interesting cast of characters, but legitimately my top five. Honorable mention to MF Doom, though. But, yeah, no, Mac Miller's death got me because I was working at Starbucks at the time. I had literally just clocked out from my shift, and I was, like, shooting the shit with my coworkers before I left. Opened Twitter. Read the news. I was like, fuck. It took me for, I don't know how long it took me to be able to listen to swimming after he died, because I knew it was just gonna fuck me up. Because I remember, like, the kids' mixtape... And shit, why am I drawing blanks? 
I sound like a fake fan when I draw blanks when I'm just really fucking high. I'll tell you what fucked me up, though. They did the 10th anniversary re-release of watching movies with the sound off, and they did an empty chair. So, between Mac Miller and Bray Wyatt, I can't look at empty chairs the same. Yeah, but Kids and Blue Slide Park were my two favorite albums freshman year. Like, if I had to describe my ninth grade year in five albums... Kids, Blue Slide Park by Mac Miller. Goblin by Tyler, the Creator. Oddly enough, Ceremonials by Florence and the Machine. Something about that goddamn album. And there's one more. I'm specifically talking... I guess I can go all high school. But what you don't see by the story so far was also a top five in my high school era, but Swimming is Honest to God, one of my favorite albums. His death really hit me hard, and what's weird is that his death didn't hit me hard until years after he passed, because I was just used to, like, the early... Mac Miller, like, teenager Mac Miller, so I wasn't, like, used to his sound when it came to swimming and circles, so I was kind of just, like, blown away away by all the production on swimming that it was like, fuck, he's really gone, and I think one of my most prized possessions is that swimming vinyl that I have. To hear it on vinyl is actually a different experience. I cherish my record player. I'm not even gonna lie. But then, like, Jay Briscoe, too. Jay Briscoe's death really got me because when I first delved into Ring of Honor back in, like, 2019, I was, wa- I was binging the episodes backwards for some reason. And if there's anything that stood out to me the most in that early binge of Ring of Honor, three specific people. Because it wasn't like the early, it wasn't, let me tell you, Tyler Black was Seth Rollins by the time I unpacked Ring of Honor. Everybody who was notable in Ring of Honor was already in WWE. But I'm talking like, there's three people that stood out to me the most in Ring of Honor. Well, four, essentially, because I'm gonna say the Briscoes, both of them. Cheeseburger and Dalton Castle. So when I was going through that binge of Ring of Honor backwards, the Briscoes were probably my favorite part like I think they even had like a feud with Adam Cole at the time I can't remember 100% because it was a couple years ago but I definitely remember a couple showdowns between the Briscoes and Adam Cole from what I was watching like I had a fight tv free account I was I should have been watching the episodes in order but I didn't want to scroll that far back 
But man, I just remember every free chance I got. I was watching Ring of Honor, and the Briscoes were in damn near every single episode. And then it was really for me the trilogy with FTR that did it. That dog collar match has to be one of my favorite matches of all time. It was the third in the trilogy where they had just won the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. That's what really got me. They had just won the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. They had just made amends to get back on AEW television with Warner Brothers. Like, life is really way too short. People take this shit for granted. We just stop taking life for granted. But, yeah, that was, loss is just an interesting thing. It's a sad thing, but it's, it's an interesting thing. And I feel like what I'm about to say is controversial, but when it comes to death, I feel like if you've done everything that you need to do and it's your time to go, it's your time to go. I don't mean that from like a religious standpoint, necessarily like a spiritual standpoint. I just feel like, I feel like it makes me sound like an asshole, but I more so mean it from a place of where I accept that death is an inevitable thing. It's going to be sad. It's depressive, and I'm not saying that nobody has the right to mourn, because let me tell you, I have been mourning the fuck out of Bray Wyatt this past week. I don't care if I've never met the man, and I don't know the man personally. I have been mourning. I was in the fetal position on the floor during that episode, of the, that tribute episode of SmackDown. So I'm not saying that you're not allowed to mourn, but from a place of understanding that death is inevitable, I feel like if you have left your legacy on this earth if you have done what you've needed to do in terms of leaving your legacy on this earth and it's time for you to go it's time for you to go like if you've done everything you need to do it's time for you to be at peace now and i hope that everybody who has passed this week is truly at peace and I really hope that made sense, because I don't mean it from, like, an insensitive point of view. I just mean it from a death is inevitable point a death is inevitable point of view. Because it happens. It's life, life experience. We all have to experience loss, whether it's death or just loss in general. Nobody goes through life unaffected by life's tragedies. Everybody's life tragedy may look different, 
but it doesn't necessarily mean nobody is going to go through hardships in life. Nobody has it easy, no matter what anybody will tell you. Nobody has it easy. Because life is life. Because even if you think that you are taking the easy way out, it will come back to bite you in the ass. Everybody has to put in some sort of effort or work into their life, regardless of what you're doing. Even if you think that you have no purpose on this earth, you have a purpose on this earth. Like, everybody... Like, there's this really cliche quote where there's the two most important days of your life. The day day that you're born and the day that you find out why. And I feel like that's 100% true. I believe that wholeheartedly because... Everybody has a reason and a purpose, even if they don't think they have a reason and a purpose. I'm not going to force you to say, I'm not going to force you to realize that you have a reason and a purpose because that's up to you to figure out personally. But if you don't think that you have a reason to exist and be on this planet, you are absolutely wrong. You are absolutely in the wrong because there's definitely someone who will listen to you. Doesn't matter. There's always somebody who's going to listen. There's always going to be somebody who can empathize, who can relate, who can sympathize. You just never know. And it's something that's like easier said than done, but just from my own personal development in life it really is a matter of getting out of your own way because one thing that we as humans do we project a lot and we project a lot of our fears i'm guilty of it everything that i've talked about on the show i'm probably guilty of at some point in my life i don't think that i'm perfect at all just because i have this podcast and i've put in the work to get to where i'm at i don't think that i'm perfect at all because i 100% of a piece of shit, and I don't mean that in a degrading way. I mean that in a sense of there are people on this planet who think I'm a piece of shit. There's people on this planet who think that I am God's gift to Earth. Earth. It could be over-exaggerating, but you get my point. Life is just going to life. We all are going to struggle. We all are going to have experiences that shape us. We're all going to experience loss, whether it's death, losing jobs, losing friends, losing relationships overall. We are all going to have to experience that. We're going to have to experience people who like us. We're going to have to experience people that don't like us. We're going to project. We're going to be projected on. It's just being human. Because there is no linear way, no rule book to being human. We all have to go through the human experience, whether we like it or not. There are some people in life who don't want to accept that they got to go through the human experience and they're going to be stuck in their ways, but that's up to them to get themselves unstuck in their ways. There are some people who are going to realize that they themselves have to get out of their own way and put in the work and put in the discipline to better their lives. Nobody is any different from the next person. Nobody is better or worse than the next person. Nobody's in a shittier situation than the next person because we all have to go through this life struggle. It looks different for everybody, but it's just life. We have highs and we have lows. It's not linear. 
because the whole point about life is just learning learning yourself learning how to navigate learning how to be a good person amongst all the bullshit not saying that you can't let life affect you because like i said i'm guilty of it i let life affect me more times often than not but shit life happens that's really all i have to say at the end of the day But know that you just don't have to go through life alone. Like, everybody's kind of struggling and reeling with all of the loss that happened this week. Nobody's alone in that. But something that I think is unfair is are people who saying that you can't mourn somebody that you've never met. Because I feel like if someone's made an impact on your life, doesn't matter if you've met them or not, doesn't matter if you know them personally or not, if somebody's made an impact on your life, you're going to feel some type of way when something happens to them. What's not okay is the parasocial relationships where you think you know somebody based off of a Google search. If you haven't taken the time to get to know somebody, you're not really going to get to know somebody. People can make impacts on your life. People can make an impact on your life, but it doesn't mean that you know them just because they've made an impact on your life. I hope that didn't come across as discouraging, but it's just, like, people get, like, weird when it comes to their favorites, because it just becomes, like, weirdly parasocial, and there's, like, there's definitely a line. There's definitely a limit. But at the end of the day, if Bray Wyatt's death is affecting you if terry funk's death is affecting you it's affecting you because loss is loss death is death i feel like none of this advice sounds like it's helpful or making sense but while it is sad that they pass we can also celebrate their lives by going back and revisiting their work supporting the family respecting the family even just Embracing the legacy that these men left on wrestling while also mourning them, it, it's therapeutic, it's cathartic. You gotta do what you gotta do to mourn and process, and it looks different for everybody. So, I think that's all I will say on that and then we can get into a little bit of all in so all in I have mixed feelings about because I feel like after this week it was the uplifting energy that we needed but you know the show did not go without its faults so much like the SummerSlam episode, I had to delete. We're gonna go through the lows, the mids, and the highs. We're gonna start with the lows. Which, for one, the one thing that did piss me off was that there was only one women's match on the card. And I kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt because I considered the fact that there could be travel issues. Maybe not everybody could have made it to London, nobody could have, like, there could have been visa issues, flight delay, like, who knows, 
I don't work in corporate. I don't book the flights. I don't, you know, I'm not there. I'm not on the business side of things at AEW. However, there was more than enough time for the women to have a match on the card at the same time. Like, your TBS champion didn't have a match on the biggest show of the year. Jamie Hayter was out injured. Like, Brian Danielson was out injured, too. Ray Phoenix couldn't make it. Like, man. So, I mean, I'll give them... I'll give... AEW the benefit of the doubt because there could very well have been travel issues for everybody. Unrelated note, I did not realize All Out was um, next Sunday too. They're crazy for that one. But at least they're going to be normal because when I tell you, I woke up this morning. It was it wasn't even like nine a.m. It was like eight fifty something. I woke up at eight fifty something a.m. I opened my phone. AEW is tweeting that Jeff Jarrett is in a match with this man named Greedo, and I am very confused and trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Because one, I obviously have not watched. This is the first piece of AEW media that I have watched in weeks, maybe months. Same with Bray's tribute episode of SmackDown. Probably the first I've watched in weeks, months, whatever you want to call it. It's 8.50 in the morning. 8.50 something in the morning. These people are fighting. I'm not even... It's so early, I'm not even considering the time difference. I'm not even considering that it's the afternoon in London. It's 8 a.m. here. Like... My teeth. I haven't even brushed my teeth. I haven't even run through the shower. I haven't even done my skincare routine. I haven't even brewed my coffee. Like they gave me no time to breathe this morning. I mean, I very well could have been. I could have been smart and I could have waited. But I didn't have anything to do today. So I mean, like, shit. I like. I was like, you know what? I love MJF and Adam Cole and what they were doing. But like, I shower deodorizing skincare caffeine and sustenance on my stomach sounded a lot better you get what I'm saying but yeah no I missed most of the of zero hour because I was doing my morning routine and trying to wake up because I was just not prepared to and that was really on me because I knew all in was happening I just didn't look at, like, what time everything necessarily would be starting. I didn't look at the scheduled time. So I just woke up, saw Jeff Jarrett, and immediately started panicking. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. (sighs) Fuck, man. Man, you know something? I have a suggestion. Someone on the timeline said that wrestling in the morning is a very spiritual experience and I have to agree agree especially on a Sunday like more wrestling pay-per-views time difference be be damned more wrestling pay-per-views should start in the morning especially if it's on a Sunday because then you have the rest of the day of the day to do whatever 
people will get home at reasonable hours. Start more pay-per-views on Sundays at like 12. Give us like a brunch, a brunch showing. Something to watch at brunch. Like, there was something so wholesome about wrestling in the morning and still having the rest of the day to just do whatever. Like, the the day is still, there's still so much to do. Um, Hook and Jack Perry was another low of mine for the night because, um, you know, I tried to give Jack Perry a chance at one point, at some point along the way, I definitely tried to give Jack Perry a chance. Um, now, not so much, not much is happening. I feel like the feud with Hook was pointless. If Hook was essentially going to win the FTW title back, I feel like it was pointless. Useless, even. My final low of the night had to have been Chris Jericho singing himself to the ring because what was that? No. No. What was the point? What was the point? Terrible. Terrible. So the mids of All In were Takeshita and Bullet Club Gold versus Golden Elite and Hangman Page. It's only a mid because while it was a good match, I was thoroughly entertained. I don't know what the buildup was. I didn't know what was going on. So it was a good match, but I was thoroughly confused as to the context. Very nice trios match. Um, Another mid of mine was Soraya. Soraya. Soraya or Soraya? It's one of the two. But her winning the title had mixed emotions for me because it was nice to see her family accompany her to the ring and it was nice for her to have her moment in the UK when the title in front of her family like that was wholesome. On the other hand, her boyfriend. I'm just going to leave it there. Cuz I'm just like, "Ma'am, your man is literally Take his phone. Just delete it all. Get a job. Stay away from her. And then my final mid was essentially the coffin match. Because I 
I've never really cared for Darby Allen, if I'm being honest. I like Sting, but he could be doing so much more. I mean, it's his choice to be doing this because it's his career. Not gonna knock him for that, but I feel like he could be doing so much more if this is his retirement tour. Talk about somebody who refuses to retire. They're gonna talk about Sting forever. My future, well, no, I'm not having kids, so I can't even say my future kids, you know. I have realized that marriage and kids, not something that adds up for me, personally. I respect those who are married, who have kids, but for me personally, what kind of solidified me not wanting kids, I was at Target the other day. This lady had a screaming child in her cart. The child was screaming from the exit of Target all the way to the car. I couldn't do it. When a child starts screaming, I literally have no idea what to do. I... I would no do not I would I like the kids that you can give back to their parents and their guardians children terrify me because they ask a lot of questions I mean I ask a lot of questions because I have the podcast but have you had to sit through a child asking you questions like that's more of an interrogation that's nerve-wracking children have a million questions I never know what to do. I never know what to say. They know too much. Do children work for the FBI like birds? These are the real questions. I should have had this prepared. Kids know too much. They're like birds. That's my actual ringtone, by the way. I'm not joking. Although, guess what time it is. Guess what time of year it is. It's time to change my ringtone. It's not like I ever hear it because my phone has a problem where um, if you call, it just goes straight to voicemail and it's not even on purpose. It's a service issue thing. Um... But yeah, since it's that time of year, if I ever get calls to my phone, but since I didn't have a lot of mids for All In 2023, let's talk about the highs. Let's talk about FTR versus the Young Bucks and why FTR is the greatest tag team of all time. I mean, the Young Bucks are definitely up there. The Young Bucks have definitely revolutionized tag team wrestling for the modern generation, but FTR 
greatest tag team of all fucking time. Debate your mother, debate your father, do not debate me. It is undeniable at this point that FTR are legitimately living legends. Suck my dick from the back all the way. Doggy style. The stadium stampede. Now, I knew that we were getting a three-way tag team match. I just didn't realize that it was going to be a stadium stampede match. I was pleasantly surprised. I They started killing each other, and I was like, oh, I'm here for this. John Moxley getting skewered in Wembley Stadium in front of over 80,000 people. He's wild for that one. That whole match, like, I actually had four favorite matches of the night. I thought I was going to have three. But FTR versus the Young Bucks, Stadium Stampede, House of Black versus the Acclaimed, and MJF versus Adam Cole were my favorite matches of the night. Another high for me was Will Ospreay because he's definitely growing on me. I did not realize how good the man was until this calendar year. I had heard of him before. I was seeing what he was doing. I just was not familiar, was not aware of New Japan up until I started doing this podcast. But now that I'm seeing him more in the forefront, I'm impressed The man's an icon, what can I say? Literally one of the greatest to ever do it at like 30 years old. He's only like 30? Something like that? That's crazy. That also puts things into perspective. Not in like a self-deprecating way, but like people within my age range are really like super successful in making it. Even like people younger than me. Because like... Fucking Nick Wayne showing up in the coffin match. He's like 18. Having a spot on one of the biggest stages. I mean, he's probably had like other big time moments like that. But just like considering how big the Wembley stage was for a lot of people. Like something that has lived rent free in my mind is the fact that over 80,000 people chanted fucking Swerve's house for Swerve Strickland. Another high for me is like anybody who's like a former WWE person who probably never would have got that much exposure while they were in WWE getting the exposure they deserve in uh, in fucking Wembley. FTR. Swerve Strickland. Those are the two that stand out the most. I mean, because it's not like FTR were bad when they were in WWE, but to think that they were going into all-in at Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 people as the AEW Tag Team Champions. Like, fucking, even MJF and Adam Cole main eventing 
Wembley Stadium. But I, I teared up a little bit. And I was even like, I had a proud mom moment because my best friend Gabby, Adam Cole, is one of her favorite wrestlers. And she's going through law school right now, so you know that she is going through it. So if we can send love to my best friend as she is navigating law school, because from what she has to- told me and shown me, law school is a bitch, but we are sending all the good vibes to Gabby. Adam Cole is one of her favorite wrestlers, right? I had to film his entrance and send it to her because I was like, bro. I hope this makes your day, but Adam Cole is literally making one of the biggest entrances in his life. This man is main eventing Wembley Stadium with MJF, which is probably also huge for him, too. Like, that's, like, AEW cannot go without its faults, right? But you can't say that AEW, well... You can't always say that AEW doesn't give people the exposure they deserve. Although it does suck that Jamie Hayter was injured because I know she would have gotten one of the biggest pops, biggest crowd pops. And then like even Chris Statlander, her having her moment as the TVS champion in Wembley, even if it was on fucking zero hour, because this was, like, a huge show. You can't deny that this wasn't a huge moment for professional wrestling overall. But. Damn. This was huge. fucking huge for professional wrestling. I am actually, like, in retrospect, I just think about, well, it's my podcast, so I technically can make it all about me, but I don't mean this from, like, a narcissistic standpoint, but I just think about it in terms of, like, time passing. Like, the reason that this podcast started was because of All Out 2021. And to think about where AEW was when they started. And even in that, like, 2021, 22 era. To the fact that they broke one of the pro wrestling attendance records. For being a relatively new company on the scene. That's kind of crazy. It's kind of impressive. Just because I don't like Triple H, I'm not going to be that person that's like, suck it, Hunter. But I mean, like, it's big for wrestling overall. It's bigger than that shit. It's bigger than the tribalism that fucking wrestling fans like to pretend exists when it most likely doesn't. Like, that shit's so weird. That's what I mean about, like, that that weird parasocial shit because... I don't even think there's a cuz. It's just all fucking weird. Like, the tribalism is weird. People acting like they know wrestlers is weird. Like, I've hung out with wrestlers, but it doesn't mean that I know them. I can say that I know somebody, but I don't know somebody until I take the time to get to know them. But... 
Yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that point. I think I was just bouncing off a tangent. But overall, I think All In was probably what we needed in regards to this past week. Because it's been bad. It's been shitty. Like, damn. Crazy. Crazy shit. So, like I said, we're paying tribute to Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk in this episode, and we're starting with Mr. Terry. We are watching Harley Race versus Terry Funk NWA title match from July 1st, 1977. And I'm mainly starting with Terry Funk because I was already on the YouTube app. Something specifically told me to watch this match. by the National Wrestling Alliance. You see the referee, Nick Kozak, holding up the belt emblematic of the championship. Turns it over to the timekeeper, Mike Williams, which is traditional. And now we're ready for two out of three falls between Harley Race and Terry Funk. Funk lost the title to Harley Race in Toronto in February and he believes that he is in condition to get that belt back because this is the thing that pervades his every thought and his every move according to Funk he is in the best shape of his career for this effort here against Harley Race and Nick Kozak is making sure that both men understand exactly what he has um, has uh, in mind what he calls the men in the ropes. Nick has refereed tough ones before, but this promises to be as tough a test as a referee as he has ever had. He calls for the bell, and it is the start of a world title battle here in the Sam Houston Coliseum, and Harley Race knows that he is going to have to be at the peak of his career in order to still go out of the ring as champion tonight. So Funk moves in, but to say that he's the aggressor at this particular moment is a little early. But we can say that Harley Race is not exactly overconfident, nor is he overdone. Well, the referee was definitely styling though in them bell bottoms. And he has had a few tough matches. Nobody's made other oh, Singapore. I was gonna say nobody's made contact yet. There they go. Several play several matches in uh, Japan itself. 
but he has not faced an opponent of Terry Funk's caliber no matter where he has been. And both these men have a reputation for roughness. Funk is the toughest and roughest member of the Funk family. He is proud of that fact. And since he wrestles the way his father told him wrestling should be done. So now, as Race examines the funk style, he starts to move in just a little bit more. But notice Terry make that switch in the rope. Oh, man! Slash across the throat, and this is something that could quickly change Race's complexion. Oh! He caught him underneath the chin and up against the throat, and Race is above us, a gasping for, for breath. Yeah, that almost knocked him so out of the fucking ring. The first Taking the first hold. Reverse armbar as he moves in there. They're clapping on Harley Race to bear down on Race. To, to work against that elbow. You see that Kozak as he swings around there and takes careful note of everything that takes place. He's offering them the opportunity to capitulate even at this early stage of the game. But a good referee stays on top of the action that way. And you notice the arm bar. He held it straight. He kept the pressure back against the elbow. He jerked the arm back and forth, but he did not bend the elbow. He's working on that particular portion of it. Race the shoulders fairly close to the mat as... Um, As Funk keeps that grip solidly wrapped around there, and now as Funk is thinking of changing the application of, of the lever, there's Race's face. He looks and like he is in pain. It because it might change. Harley Race. He is just oh, he is just Johnny standing Funk on this man, just ripping the arm out of his socket. I don't imagine I have ever seen somebody stand up on the man and then fall into it that way. But right. Funk has a way of inventing things as he goes along, and he also has a way of proving that Funk toughness in everything that he does. Kozak, watching the shoulders, even though they're, at this moment, the one of them is uh, considerably up off the mat. This can change, and Nick stays in there. That's just hope Harley Race is not left-handed. Or doesn't need to use his left arm for anything. He has just come back from the Panhandle of Texas. He has been wrestling in Colorado, New Mexico, and West Texas. He is in good shape, and it's one of the reasons he was picked by the NWA to handle this event because of his condition. Just on that man's head. Again, he did exactly the same maneuver that he used before, and only this time he comes up with a hammerlock. He, what he's doing is beautiful, though. Never seen anything like he's that. Just standing the on the man, exactly what he wanted to and do. just falling he back while still holding his arm. Then as he fell back, he was able to Crazy. Take the arm along with him. And 
I get it. I get it. Oh, that does Actually, not look good at all. Stretch again. 
but he uses his feet freely in here to keep Harley Race pinioned. And again, as he steps up on there, he's got an ear someplace underneath that foot. Oh! He just screwed that foot of his around there, and, and then diving over the back of Harley Race in order to catch. You ever just hate when you feel like your shoulder needs to pop, right but you can't pop it? So he went over the back in order to grab it. Terry Funk's grip. Commercial break? What happened? I hear things, but I don't see things. Oh, we're back. We are back. Oh, shit. Oh, how the turntables have switched so quickly with that glitch. Left arm, and believe me, that is the answer when you start to, <coughs> try to make hardly race. Just turn the tables, get the blood flow, get the feeling back in it. And it's a side headlock for Harley Race as Terry Funk is still trying to recover from the driving headbutt into the temple. And Terry reaches around, latches on to the left leg of. Harley Race, he lifts up that left leg trying to destroy Race's balance but right now, Terry is not completely uh, capable of all of 100% of effort that hit butt hit him right smack where he uh, where, where a man is weak, right up around that temple, I'll tell you, it can make a dingling out of you fast so it's Race with the side headlock, it's Funk trying to wrap him up. You see him here trying to get a cradle hold on him. He has raised his leg, but he has not yet completed the grip, but he does manage to get enough of it up there by holding on to Race's arm and using it to apply a hold against Race. Lift him up. And keep him wrapped up. And Terry trying to jerk his head out of this vice-like grip. And now, fans again, well, they're shouting for Funk, but Funk lost his chance. No, he went to something else. He went to roll him back and to pin him to the three count. So, Terry underneath. Harley Race in command with a, with a side headlock. You see the hand of referee Nick Kozak as he was looking over the hole, checking, make sure that it didn't go down underneath the, the throat in any manner. Fans again with Terry, letting him know it. He's just suffocating and that man. Oh, but he's fighting back. There. You can see the uh, strange off-balance stance that he has as he leans into Terry Funk. But Funk is straightening out the arm, pulling his head slowly, maybe surely, down out of the grip. As the, At the moment, the race only has part of the hold. He is only fairly well-balanced. And now Funk has come up. It's, they're on equal terms. Terry Funk has his arm up on, up on his, he has Race's arm up on his shoulder there, and is pulling it down, but his head is free, 
of the, of the side headlock. And as the arm is straightened out, Funk is trying to get underneath. They are a tangle of arms. Each man's fighting to maintain top leverage, and it's Terry who succeeds. An arm whip, and he comes up with an arm bar, but he loses it to a counter head scissor. So Race still working on the on the head, gets the head scissor. And oh, oh. And he is not just going to apply the squeeze for the head scissor. As he raises that leg and drives it down there, he does it with a with a sure and solid blow. Right between the knee bones. Harley Race. Like those inner knee bones. That's got to fucking hurt. Right on your temples. Weakening Terry Funk. Damn. I'm working on the head that he had buzzing just a while ago with that head butt into the temple. You see Nick Kozak. He's looking at the shoulders. He's the man who can see it. We, where we sit, we cannot. And Race tells referee Kozak to ask him Terry trying to literally pull his head out of there with forward motion if he possibly can. Harley Race, crooked head scissor. The underneath leg pulls up on the head. The, the leg on the right pushes down on the on the body and on the um, on the neck. And this kind of a grip makes you wish you had never become a wrestler in the first place. There is the twist. He jerks up on it. He pushes down with the with the right leg. And Terry Funk is trying to discourage Race's effort and turn it into perhaps a back body drop or an opportunity to snatch one of those legs for a toehold. He is bracing himself for the lift and Race now has got a decision to make. He still has the hold, but what's he gonna do with it? <coughs> trying to see how he can shake him loose or do something about it. It's still Harley Race's hold, strange enough, strangely enough. But the um, but Funk could be weakening. If he falls backward, he may have an advantage. He, he's he's no, he sunk down on the canvas. As the, as the pressure from the head scissor just settled over him. Nikoze, at the 20 minute mark, this match has a time limit of 60 minutes, two out of three falls. We are still in the first fall, and Harley Race adds to the discomfort of Terry Funk. The fans try to add to Terry's enthusiasm for getting out of this grip. Funk, as he bounces around underneath, turns his head. That <clears> what I will say, though, gives him an advantage, and Harley Race is crazy for this. This one move. He has not let go of Terry Funk. By their bodies on your side of the, They're crazy of for the this action. one. So, Funk, now, now, oh. Funk come over there with that 
Southpaw Clout of his and caught Harley Race alongside the jaw. And Race is looking around now for a way that he can apply this hold and still maintain an advantage. Now it's go funk go again as as Harley Race applies more pressure to the side to the head scissor. Terry Funk starts to rise up again and Terry Funk now is coming up faster than he did before and Lobby Don hey. to loose Latrec. He moves across that ring and uh, gets the referee to break the hole. He's a madman for that Terry. one. And he got out without losing an ear and The way he was holding the side of his head, he may not have gotten out without losing an ear. And that left-handed clobber by, by Harley Race, following up and taking advantage of the fact that he's got Terry Funk not in at his best, and the champion working him over. The world's heavyweight title is at stake. And Race, oh! Man, that left. Race is still standing. And Funk knows that he's going to have to lay that blow in there. And he's not going to blow him over with the wind of it. Terry Funk. The ex-world's heavyweight champion. He lost the race in Toronto. He's trying to regain it here in Houston. It is good stuff like he was really in fight. So Terry now, the more he stands there, the more he is going oh, to be go. able to We're back. recover from this punishment around the head. And that twisting arm lock shifts the emphasis away from the head. It's Terry's left arm that's being held. He is a softball when he walks and he comes across with a backhanded clock from the left side with his right hand. And again, he slashes at him. Slashes at him well enough to knock his head off and send it rolling up the aisle. And he again under the chin under the whiskers and Harley Race is weakening but he still has the arm and this time Funk tried the headbutt it didn't work I think it backfired I can't see Terry's face from here now I think he decides to go back to the slash they don't backfire as well He's trying to discourage Harley Race from keeping that grip on that left arm. Now, oh, and the left came over with a solid Funk is bringing him back. Race against the ropes. Funk, anxious to get Race out of the corner. He did not follow Harley into the corner, and for good reason. He was not going to be on the verge of getting trapped in there. There's the man who holds the world's heavyweight title. He brought it into the ring with him. 
He wants to carry it out. 25 minutes have gone by as race crowds into Terry Funk. And Kozak tries to break him. He tried for a straight blow from the shoulder and Terry was with it. He let it go over his head and over his shoulder. Terry, as you see him maneuvering, is trying to, again, get back into 100% efficiency. He's after the spinning goal. Oh. The race instantly counted it with that, um, with that driving foot. hard in the referee's hole. They come in there with, with solid forearm action. Almost like a blow sometimes when they when they come in and, and uh, come up batter up against each other. The knee lift. And Harley Race this time goes for the figure four leg lock. And he's oh. wrapped up. The shoulders are down. Two. There is a lady in the crowd who is pissed that Harley Race kicked out of that. She stood up in frustration. She was pissed. was almost like if you had got a snapshot of Harley Race holding uh, Terry Funk in the air like that, shit. To see a black photographer ringside in the 70s, love that.
So the first fall goes to the world's champion Harley Race. We'll be back here in a moment for the second fall of this action from the Sam Houston Coliseum after we have this word from the studio. examine him, he pushed him aside, and Terry Funk indicated that he is ready for the second fall of this battle. 26 minutes and some seconds went by in the first fall. This is a 60-minute time limit match, and the referee now is warning, it is stepping right in there to point out to on the race, what he thinks happened. So Funk crowds into race, and Kozak starts to crowd in between the two of them, notifying the two of them that it's time to break. Oh, Funk didn't want to slap happen. Oh, Harley Race is heated up. They the are. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Harley Race ball. walked up because on Terry Funk like, I'm going to beat your fucking ass. The blow was right squarely into Terry Funk. Whether it was fair or foul was going to have to be decided by the referee. But here is Harley Race now working his points on Terry Funk. We could have a, a submission fall here. He has won the first fall with the injury to Terry's back. And now, as he uses this backbreaker, keeps his weight on the smaller Terry Funk's back. He is pulling up on the chin, bending him in the middle. It may work, and it may not work. Funk's in trouble. The go Terry go. I would say so too. Is great for inspiration, but I want to tell you that what's happening to Terry Funk right now makes him wish that he had somebody stuck up there in front of him where that who could take the punishment for him. And Funk now making use of what he can do, and he has come up with a side headlock. You see him squirming around here and trying his best to keep those arms wrapped tightly around the. This is so race. crazy to me. At this time, the 1977, they probably, probably, Terry no, Funk and Harley Race, at this time, probably never realized that they would be innovators of this sport, legends of this sport, Hall of Famers. They didn't realize it at this time. It's crazy to think about in retrospect. Oh, we gotta fall. Maybe I get too existential and deep with it, but it's like truth. It's the truth. I don't think they ever thought they would be that impactful on the world of wrestling at that time. They probably knew that they were good, but to be like 
the legends that they are in 2023. That's crazy. But yeah, Terry Funk got that second fall in the middle of my pseudo, if not real, existential crisis. I had a feeling somebody was going to sneak a fall. I thought that hard... So, where my mind was going, essentially... I thought that Harley Race was going to sneak that second fall. I knew somebody was going to sneak a fall. I just thought it would be Harley Race back-to-back, then Terry Funk comes around with that. Well, I, I, that's, that wouldn't make sense. Never mind. That would not make sense. I don't know what I was thinking. But no, it would make sense. Because that, so if Harley Race had pinned Terry Funk back to back, he would have retained. Ulta Beauty does not sponsor or pay me to play this advertisement on air, and neither does Gilroy Gardens. And I'm not paying for ad for YouTube because I don't need another bill on my list. But it's starting to make sense to me now. Okay, I don't know why I lost the concept for some reason. For the first time, I can say that the math was mathing, because I eventually figured it out. But now it's like do or die. Who's gonna get this third ball? You gotta give the people what they want. I haven't even talked about the part of the match that has stressed me out the most. Um, Harley Race just has one knee pad on. One. Because I've been told knee pads. Plural. Trademark, the one that, that the Funk family has 
used to win most of his matches. His brother Dory Jr. does the same thing. And oh, Harley Race just clobbered Terry Funk right alongside the head, alongside the jaw, high on the jaw. And Terry back in again. Is that spinning toe hold again? And Harley Race again driving blows at the face of. Uh, you know, they had me in the first half. I'm not going to lie. I was skeptical about this match at first. Then we got to fucking Harley Race getting that second fall. Terry, what? He is bleeding just over his left eye as he is knocked down to the canvas. But he is after that leg. He is after the spinning toe hold. And he, Harley Race, shoulder is up. But it's the fact that he could be uh, old and, and as uh, Harley Race drives that fist in there, his knuckles are covered with blood. The face of Terry Funk, the, the left eye is, is covered with blood. The Violence. champion himself is having trouble rising up to his feet. That uh, right leg of his is in trouble, and Terry Funk is bleeding and bleeding badly as as he goes after the leg of, of Harley Race. The, he knows what he wants, the five-minute mark in this third and deciding fall, but Funk is bleeding all over the place. The knuckles of, of Harley Race are, are bloody from battering the face of so the referees in the 70s just said, yeah, if they're bleeding, we're not going to put gloves on. Fair. Just no gloves. And Race suffering from the... From the toll and now as the knee... Just above the eye, and, and uh, Nick Kozak is trying to tell Terry Funk that he has a bad cut over the eye, and he, I think he was on the verge that time of trying to start, uh, going to stop the match when Terry talked him out of it. Tough spot for Terry Funk, bleeding badly, trying his best here to, to come out on top of this match. And, a bloody mess. He's after that leg. He has found the leg. I don't think he can see it all out of that left eye. The, he jumped in high up on the up on the thigh. If Terry Funk wins this match in this condition, I don't know what I'm gonna do with myself. Harley Race and, and his own too. He is after the the uh, the leg again. He spins. And, this is incredible. I, I tell you, I haven't seen a man this like this in many, many is wrestling years. indeed. Pouring it through the leg of world champion Harley Race. And now Funk blocking that left hand that has been doing all the damage. Oh, he's caught another one in the eye. And, and again, he caught another one in the eye. He's snatching it by the hair and, and crashing into it. And Race is covered with as much blood as uh, Funk, but it's all over Race's body. The blood is running down freely. And... 
Terry Funk trying to force the, the issue, trying to force the world champion into, uh, into submission. But he hasn't got his spinning toe hold on. He is, uh, he is getting weak, I would say, from the, the blood that he has, he has lost. And race on, on one side. And, and I think that referee Nick Kozak is stopping this match. They are covered in blood, both of them. That was incredible. Ten out of ten. Holy fuck. To honor Mr. Bray Wyatt, we are watching The Shield versus the Wyatt family at Elimination Chamber 2014, which is around the time I actually stopped watching WWE. I stopped watching at the worst time because that's when they decided to have WrestleMania 31 up the street. Not technically up the street, down the street, around the corner. You gotta make a couple turns here and there, but... I decided to go to Santa Barbara for school when WrestleMania decided to have happen at Levi Stadium. Yeah. What a time. I, I was a fool. But, um, as much as I respect both the Wyatt family and the Shields, I just skipped to the beginning of the match because those entrances were really long. This is weird. Already weird. This is already weird. For multiple reasons. Eric Rowans is the only living member of the Wyatt family. Seth and Roman, two different levels right now. We all know what the fuck. I definitely blocked Dean Ambrose out of my mind. So now that it's 2023, can I ask, were the Shield supposed to be, like, club bouncers? What, what was the shtick of the Shields? What, what were they, what were they shielding? What were they protecting? Oh, this was the year of WrestleMania 30, okay. 2014 was a weird year. That's crazy. They're both not here with us anymore. That is weird to think about because I honestly still feel like I'm waiting for Bray Wyatt to return from injury, from hiatus. Ambrose 
The Hounds of Justice, is that, that's what it was. What justice? I mean, Shield kind of reminds me of Spy Kids, but, I mean, 2023, the Shield reminds me of Spy Kids, but specifically Spy Kids 2 for some reason. The, the Shield was always giving Spy Kids 2 realness, if I'm being honest, because I don't think I've ever watched a Shield match before this. Wow, this is the first time I'm watching the Shield wrestle as a trio. That's weird. That's also why it's weird. Because this is this was kind of like the year I gave up on WWE, so I missed a lot. might be late on this, but I feel like there was some Texas Chainsaw Massacre thrown into whatever the Wyatt family had going on, because if anything, they do remind me of the Sawyers. This was a different Roman Reigns. I don't remember this Roman Reigns. Why'd they give him those contacts? I feel like I'm asking... Asking very delayed questions by a lot of years. But did we ever get an answer? Oh shit, I knew that was coming for some reason. I knew he was gonna counter that shit. I just, a hunch. Yanked Harper back to the corner. Away from the referee where he couldn't see it. Yeah, he had that nasty shirt. 
What? This is crazy. They're all madmen for this. It's weird seeing people wrestle who are just not alive anymore. That is... That's the wildest part about all of this. It's even weirder when it's Bray Wyatt. He was just here, it feels like. Like, I can't watch a Bray Wyatt match and think, oh yeah, he's not here anymore. And I swear, that video they put out where everybody was talking about Bray Wyatt, I knew I was gonna cry. I didn't cry as much as I thought I was, but there were like a, a few moments that made me cry. It was definitely Kevin Owens story that got me because I've always been like more got me from a relatable point of view because I've always been someone where I don't know how long I don't care how long I've known you I can know you for like five minutes I can know you for like 20 years I'm gonna pretty much treat you like family regardless so I really mean it when I say like friends and family in the wrestling sphere I mean that shit That got me, and then Samantha singing at the end. I think Bailey's story got me too. Adam Pierce got me. Man. For me, I'm really thinking about the kids, bro. I know everybody's saying that, but the fucking kids, bro. Those kids are... I don't think those kids are older than, like, five or ten. Damn. Yeah. I can see it.
I'm gonna say this on air. Two things that I'm gonna need y'all to not be surprised about. If I'm crying by the end of this match, and if you see Bray Wyatt's Firefly logo pop up on my body as a tattoo, do not be surprised by those two things. Because I'm really considering getting that Firefly tattooed. Just like everybody else, I don't care. If you think I'm above getting tattoos for people, you are gravely mistaken. Because the tattoo that I have on my left arm is literally dedicated to the story so far. It's a lyric from their song, Nerve. I've got two Twin Peaks tattoos on my left arm as well, too. But yeah, no, I'm getting... On the back of my right arm, like right above my elbow, I'm multi Shit! Seth Rollins is a madman for this one. I was watching and describing my tattoo ideas at the same time. But like... The back of my right arm, like right above my elbow, is probably where I'm gonna put the Bray Wyatt Firefly. And I feel like it's fitting, because it's gonna be right above my Jason Voorhees tattoo. The horror could- Oh! That horror connection was- I love- yeah. I also still want to get a Beetlejuice tattoo. I've had this one, like, picture saved of the Beetlejuice tattoo that I want. It's like somebody... Somebody going to shake a hand. It's like somebody's got a... It's a hand in a handshake gesture, and the sandworm is eating the hand, and it just says, Never trust the living. It's one of my favorite movies. I have a handbook for the recently deceased wallet. And a physical copy of Beetlejuice. The reason I don't have wrestling related tattoos is money. Financially. Because if I had the proper funds, trust and believe, there would be... With... If I had money, there would be wrestling related tattoos all over my body. Damn, I kind of just looked at my right forearm. There are like two good places for that Bray Wyatt tattoo. Not many people know I have ten ta ten tattoos. I had to remember. Many people don't realize I have the amount of tattoos that I do have. I sometimes forget how many tattoos I have. Obviously, I thought I had 11. I think I just have 10. Oh. 
If I did get any other tattoo tributes outside of Bray Wyatt, probably Mick Foley. There's this guy I follow on Instagram. I don't know if anybody else follows him. Probably. I don't know why I'm saying I don't know if anybody else follows him. But I mainly say that. Not everybody uses Instagram, so you just never know. But uh, Raffi PSD on Instagram. Shout out to him because he does like the sailor traditional style tattoos, but they're like wrestling inspired. And I've been meaning to ask him permission if I can get his pin up Mick Foley tattooed because um, damn it I'm getting ideas I'm getting fucking ideas I'm gonna be unstoppable when I start working The streets were not lying. This is one of the greatest trios tag matches of like this generation of the 2010s because we're in the 20s now. I'm stupid. But in terms of like the best trios tag matches of the 2010s, they kind of. You got me there. I really want a tattoo on like my stomach or like under the rib cage area, but I <sighs> But how are you gonna do that and he lands on his feet though? Damn that was crazy. But yeah, that rib cage, stomach area. Did Roman cut his hair? Because it seems like his hair is longer than it is. Well, he. Well, he has had it in a, I feel like his hair was long. He definitely cut his hair. Oh, damn. He. Shit. He got put, thrown out that. Damn. He is on a roll. I can't even keep up with what he's doing. I'm stressed. But, anyways, I know that whole chest. That just. That whole front area hurts. Uh, I can do a whole video on like the backstories and reasonings behind my tattoos if people are interested, but there's too much chaos to keep up. Of course, everybody in wrestling makes me want more tattoos, which is the reason this conversation started in the first place. This is insane what they're do they are. 
How did he kick out of no? Oh my god. Oh my god. Why is it always the Spanish in Oaks table? Why can't they just fuck up the regular announce table at pay-per-views? It's always the Spanish announce table. You know, I'm still trying to recover and figure, keep up with everything that happened when they spilled out of the ring. Like, I'm still trying to... The last thing I remember, they, they just jumped out of the ring. They were all ringside. And the, the next thing I know, Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt are going over the barricade. I don't know where we are. What, what the... I'm trying to catch up. I'm really trying my best to catch up. Okay, there we go. Fuck up the regular announce table for once. It doesn't always have to be the Spanish announce table. So, dumbass question. Do they replace everything? Dean Ambrose is gonna come out of nowhere, or Roman's coming. Somebody's coming out of nowhere. Well, nobody came out. Wow, shit. they would have edited a holy shit out.
glad I had subtitles on because if he said Roman and Reigns. Where is Dean Ambrose? He has nowhere to be found. I love Target. Oh my god. Oh my god. I liked better. <sighs> I don't know what match I liked better. Luke Harper came out of nowhere, caught everybody off fucking guard. I don't know why I thought the Shield were gonna win this one. Who am I? What was I thinking? Crazy. 